As far as I'm concerned, as long as that same respect and recognition is not shown toward every one of our people in this country, it doesn't exist for me. And during the few moments that we have left, we want to have just an off-the-cuff chat between you and me, us. We want to talk right down to earth in a language that everybody here can easily understand. I can't lie, up until, not up until I had, you know, kind of talk about climate justice also being tied and inextricably linked to doing racial justice and and kind of doing the work which I'm trying to do in terms of tackling questions on race. I realised I lacked a lot in my knowledge of climate justice and how it intersects with racism. And then I came across the brilliantly written article by my, my younger bro, Atien. What are you saying, bro? Nah, thank you, bro. Thank you for the for the kind words about the article. Yeah, I'm really privileged and happy to be here today. Thank you, my guy. Man. Honestly, it was so well written. I was like, I actually read it. I figured, facts, facts. This is yeah, straight up facts. So straight. Okay, your article is entitled, When I look at Extinction Rebellion, all I see is white faces. That has to change. Okay, very provocative title, but what's your thinking behind the title? Yeah, I, I, basically the the story of the title is. So I didn't actually write the title. It was it was like okay. It was selected. It was like a. It was I think there was a line about. I think so. It's it's kind of complicated because I wrote the line within the article. So okay. but, did, but they selected it to be the um, title. But I think the title was a kind of blessing and a curse at the same time. In okay. that I think it drew it drew a lot of people to the article and the article is probably like the biggest it, it was shared um the most of anything i've ever written but there was also like when i was going through like the social media like responses there was also an element that there were people who just simply refused to engage with any of the arguments i was making because of the title so it was a bit it was like a, a mixed bag okay now i hear that man i hear that i think sometimes when we do the work that we do we have to realize i think more and more that what i'm seeing is that you actually can't be palatable to everyone yeah it's actually impossible. Obviously, again, it, depending on what you're specifically doing and your specific goals are, you'll tailor what you're saying and your message to different audiences. But one thing I realize is you cannot be palatable to everybody. So, okay, let's go straight into it. How should we, we, first and foremost, before we even speak about how climate justice intersects with racial justice, my question to you is, what are some of the climate key pressing issues when it comes to climate change and what should we know? So I think there's kind of two ways to think about this. There's a kind of like natural and physical processes. So the kind of global warming, rising sea levels, the kind of collapse of different ecosystems across the world, the impact that has on species and plants and biodiversity, which are all being Mm -hmm. affected by kind of global warming. But then we have to remember that these processes are inextricably linked with the way that different communities across the world live so mm-hmm. there's, there's kind of i think the problem with climate change is that it's it's an issue which of course is universal and that mm-hmm. great universality means that there's kind of often it's overlooked how this is already impacting and will impact the most marginalized groups the most mm. so yeah that's I, I think that that as i tried to put across in the article that dynamic is at play both in the global north and in the global south. So I can kind of explain how that is. Shall I go yes, please do. Yes, please. Cool. So in the global north, so in, in the USA, in the UK, in parts of Western Europe, the kind of diaspora communities, particularly black communities and other ethnic minority communities, as well as working class communities more generally, 
are facing the the worst of the climate impact already, and that mm. most that's felt the most through kind of air pollution. So we okay. know that the, the communities where you have the highest air pollution deaths are also yes. the most diverse communities. But the ironic part is that these communities have the lowest level of car ownership. Oh, the yeah, they okay. have the lowest level of car ownership on average because it's kind of these very metropolitan inner city areas, and you can kind of see that. Um, in, for example, the Bronx, there's very high levels of asthma in, in kind of yeah. a lot of other um, industrialised areas. And also, if we just look in London, the kind of presence of a lot of black communities around kind of highly urbanised, um, these areas where you have a lot of kind of cars passing through, that leads to, to, to more deaths from asthma. So that's that's a really key idea. So essentially what you're saying is that these people who actually own cars are driving through the area with people who don't own cars and increasing the amount of air pollution for those people yeah which is kind of why things like the ultra low emission zone the congestion charge have, have been brought in in london to at least dis- to dissuade people from taking unnecessary car journeys because ultimately we know that kind of air pollution is a massive it's it's a massive public health epidemic and public mm-hmm. health issue but i think to to look at in terms of on the kind of more global level if we look yeah. at the global south so the countries which are also most susceptible to climate impact are some of the least developed countries in the world and countries which have been affected by colonialism, slavery, mm. empire, all these different issues. Let, we will go into that. I know they're intersect, but I want to just unpack the issues. One thing about me and this podcast, I'm always going to say the word unpack. Mm. So <laughs> in, in unpacking the issues, lay out the climate change issues. Obviously, we know the world might come to an end because of it, you know, in a very kind of dystopian worldview, which is made up, I mean, which is uh, conjured up. My question to you, what is impact does global warming have or impact does climate change have? So there's a kind of, there's, I think there's no area of our lives that will be untouched by it. So if we look at, um, like one example is food. We're basically mm-hmm. seeing that the, the productivity of land is dramatically increasing. So mm-hmm. that, that's going to create massive issues in terms of food chains, the availability of mm-hmm. different types of foods. And I think while that may manifest itself kind of in the global north as limitations around different types of food, that is very much drought and hunger in parts of the global south. I think so there's, mm. there's kind of food. There's also the physical vulnerability. So if we look at, there are islands, there are low-lying coastal islands, like the Maldives, yes. um, which will basically be wiped out if we continue to see the kind of rate of, of sea level rise that we're currently experiencing. There's also mm-hmm. the risk of kind of pandemics. So like there's probably some epidemiologists who will be able to explain this better. But yeah. it's essentially that the more of the globe that we use up, yeah. our risk of pandemic is basically kind of increased. Because we've become closer together, obviously. Yeah, and also in terms of the natural world. So there's kind of from my study of A-level geography, we've looked at kind of the tundra, which is, is basically ice in like across Siberia and parts of Russia. Yes. And so there's essentially like um, ancient diseases which are trapped in these kind of, they're in a fossilised state, essentially. They're trapped yes. and they're cold. But obviously as the globe is melting, these yeah. diseases are starting to be released. I think pandemics are a real concrete impact of this. And I think in terms wow. of, yeah, yeah, right now, yeah. Like I think one thing that needs to happen and one thing that I tried to put across in my article is that climate change, we have to think about how do we put across the narrative about climate change. Mm-hmm. I think there's a couple problems with our current narrative. One is that it's some kind of future apocalyptic problem. It's definitely an apocalyptic problem, but it's already impacting us now. 
just because it's mm. not being felt in the most severe way in kind of countries like the USA and UK doesn't mean it's not happening. And then the yes. second one is kind of about the way that this is a bit of a tangent from from the original question, but this is kind of I think the way the narrative is put across is that yes. this is an issue which is gonna is impending upon individual action, mm. but the kind of capacity for individual action to to stop this issue is is really not realistic it's about large-scale industrialized change the way that our economy works the way the global kind of system works that's the Mm -hmm. main issue yes so in terms of okay so how does it look manifest itself differently because you said that you know it's framed as being an apocalyptic problem in the global north in general but really it's part of it is happening right now in Mm -hmm. the global south so what does that look like right now in the global south so we're seeing the kind of um we're seeing that there's basically communities which are kind of dependent on things like fishing mm-hmm. are becoming increasingly vulnerable to kind of essentially imbalanced ecosystems, which pose mm-hmm. a threat in that way. We kind of see the rise of sea levels, which will basically wipe out islands in the Maldives in, in the not too distant future. We're seeing mm-hmm. increased drought and hunger in parts of, of um, all, all across the world. And we're seeing a really specific example of that is in the Sahel in, in North Africa, which is essentially expanding and destroying mm. um, productive agricultural land. So I think that's mm. a, a really profound issue that we're dealing with. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, you've given like a kind of a bleak overview of what's happening in the world right now. And it is very dire, obviously. But the question now then, we'll speak about your article more. But how did this tie into the topic of race? I think it's, it's, it's really clearly connected. As we can, okay. I think the kind of underlying logic and the way that I like to explain this is that any form of crisis costs those who have the least the most. Mm. So it's that's that's literally the way that the kind of climate crisis is 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 playing out. Because if we look at it, it's fundamentally kind of changing the nature of global resources. If resources like water, um, which is becoming increasingly scarce all across the world, or mm-hmm. food, or kind of all these other different resources. If they become more scarce, we know that those who have pre-existing power, whether it be economically, racially, or kind of a mix between and the interconnection between those two, Mm -hmm. will essentially see that those who will be forced to pay the cost of the climate crisis are those who already are kind of affected by systemic racism. And I think there's an element that if we look at the countries which are most responsible for the climate crisis... USA, the UK, historically, the kind yeah. of developed world, quote-unquote, yes. the economically prosperous parts of the world. Yes, These are the countries which also have extracted massive resources from the global south through colonialism, yes. empire, and slavery. And I think a really yes. interesting example of an, an interconnection is Haiti. So mm. Haiti, of course, is, is remembered and, and looked at very fondly because of its involvement in the black radical tradition in terms of the Haitian Revolution. But one thing that we have that's often forgotten is the link between the effects of slavery and revolution and present-day Haiti's various different problems. Yes. Not only the problems of like neo-colonial intervention by France, the kind of cycles of, of, of being trapped in, in permanent debt, but also mm-hmm. the fact that it's the world's f- fully, first fully deforested country as a result mm-hmm. of, of the kind of really extractive forms of slavery which took place in, in the region. Wow. Yeah, that's, I learned like, that about that last re- week. 
now you really can't escape like the effects of slavery and colonization. That's why I think it's very a, a side point when people say that, you know, but slavery was so long ago. Yeah, okay. Even even though it wasn't, colonization is still happening. Neocolonization still happens. Colonization is a living memory. But I think people all too often forget, okay, yes, the institute in and of itself, you know, if we're going to say 1807 or 1835 was abolished in parts of the world. The effects of it are still so like, yes, the institution may be quote unquote abolished in its physical sense. However, its effects and its and remnants still have a lasting impact on the world today and still shape those descendants of those of those institutes today and give them certain positionalities in the world today. So I think it's very important that we emphasize that. I mean, we spoke off air, we spoke regarding how it kind of then on the topic of carbon emissions. I think you made a beautiful point. Do you mind expanding on that? Which point was this? Talking about how it kind of, we are saying to the, the, those in the global south yeah. that they can't maybe industrialize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the main conundrum, it's not really a conundrum, it's a kind of moral hypocrisy, mm. is that the countries who've reached some of the best standards of living in history and prosperity and health through these kind of forms of industrialization are telling people in the global south right now that they can't industrialize using carbon. And it's it's like, it's essentially a failure or a, it's not self-awareness because there are very conscious reasons for why people are doing this. Yes. But I think we have to pivot towards how can we figure out kind of more carbon neutral Friendly. forms of development. Yep. Because and the irony of irony of it, sorry to cut you off, but the irony of irony, we speak of like the US is the, the, the largest, I believe, when it comes to carbon emissions and they're, and they're talking about China. But again, but again, when you do it per capita, yeah, not when yeah. you do it per country, you have to do it by per capita. So even the numbers are skewed. So I mean, you had a quote in the in your article talking about climate racism, and, and it might end up reproducing systems of racism. What do you mean by that? I essentially mean that if we look at the kind of main instruments by which the West aims to decarbonize their economies, the kind of expansion of green technology, green infrastructure, green jobs all these different things, they're yeah. kind of dependent upon the extraction of resources in the global south. And a really mm. specific example is Colton. And people often link it correctly to the kind of human rights abuses connected to the exploitation of workers and the, and the fuel of conflict in the Congo. But there's never a, a recognition of how the climate, the efforts to decarbonize will exacerbate these issues. And I think a really specific example is kind of Tesla and the extraction of resources in part of the, of South America. That's just a kind of an almost foreshadowing of some of the issues we're going to see later on. I mean, the thing is, this is if ever there was a case to abolish billionaires, the way Elon Musk speaks about <laughs> organising coups in certain parts of the world for extraction of resources. No clearer case. Exactly, especially when those people want to nationalise those industries for the benefit of the people. Okay, now more specifically on the article, you, you speak of that you're... You don't like the way the framing of discussion or especially, I wouldn't say it's an attack. It's more of an invitation to a extinct rebellion that they should maybe change tact or they should kind of reframe the discussions. So yeah. what's your contention with the way they're doing things now? And I want to know, I don't want to send for people, but is Greta Thunberg a part of this camp? I think Extinction Rebellion, and you can ask a lot of other people who are kind of involved in the climate movement. They did a lot to kind of raise the profile in Western countries about the climate crisis, particularly in the beginning when they were kind of blocking, remember when they very famously kind of blocked roads in the city of London and forced parliament into declaring a climate emergency. But even kind of structurally, my main problem, I think I talk about in the article, is their emphasis on the importance of arrest. Mm. 
And I think if we want to create kind of inclusive movements, you can't have this emphasis on arrest because we know that young black or brown people who rightly were worried about the way that the criminal justice system is going to treat us, no one should no one should have that barrier to involvement from because of that. But I think yes. also more broadly about Extinction Rebellion, I think very famously they put out a tweet like it was. It's, I'm summing it up, but it was basically like, "Ah, oh, why are you arresting us? Shouldn't the criminal justice system be dealing with knife crime?" That Whoa! Kind of, yeah, yeah. They they put out that tweet, and I think that very clearly kind of sums up <laughs> a lot of why people don't like them. Yes, yes, yes. It sums up the mentality behind it because you, you do mention that it's like a middle class, it's a middle class movement. And again, yeah. so that, okay, then so then why, if you're speaking to now the black community, why should I mean, you mentioned it so beautifully and so eloquently, but specifically, you're speaking to the black community. Why should black people be involved in the struggle for climate justice? I think it's because it, it, it's, it's, it's an issue which is invariably going to impact us and is impacting mm-hmm. us. And as a part of, I think, issues like education criminal justice, all the other issues that are recognised as being directly affected, uh, directly connected to the outcomes of the community, not only on a kind of individual level, but a collective and societal level. Like, we know mm-hmm. that the way the criminal justice system works is going to affect us. We know that the way the education system is going to affect us. And the climate crisis is equally going to be one of those, such a direct issue in terms of the kind of vulnerability to things like air pollution, the lack of green space, the kind of susceptibility to, as a result of those issues, to diseases like asthma. We also have to think about the connection of what's happening to the countries, uh, to the country that we originate from. Wow, yeah. So that it's a kind of duality, I think, we have to deal with and, and navigate. So there really is essentially what you're saying, no way escaping like the effects of neocolonization and it all intersects with a flight for a fight for climate justice and racial justice. So do you think activists then who are speaking about things about capitalism, speaking about things to do with racial justice need to simultaneously always raise climate justice as well? A hundred percent. Like as a shorthand, I like to say the kind of issues of the next 20 or 30 years are class, climate and, and race. Like, I think those are the defining issues and they're so interconnected. They're so, mm-hmm. it's like, I don't even have the words to articulate how, like, the, the way the entire economic system of the West and the globe yes. over the next kind of 20, 30 years will be, mm-hmm. I think if there's any force, I think, which will shape it, it's the impact of the climate crisis. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. we're going to see supply chains affected, we're going to see resources affected. We're going to see the way that the entire global system interacts. And also, we're just going to see more extreme weather patterns. And we already are. And, exactly. And all these things are going to impact black people so directly because of where we live and because of our position within the society as those who've kind of face marginalization and state violence. Like the climate crisis is just going to be a kind of exaggerator and exacerbator of these issues. So if we want to stand up for if we mm-hmm. want to fight for our rights in the same way that we do in education, criminal justice, then I think the climate crisis has to be a, a, another one of the fronts that we fight on. Okay, I like to leave people with some specific actions wherever we can. So someone who's listening to this, maybe they might be an activist who hasn't thought about climate justice so far. What should they be championing when they're talking about the fight for climate justice? What are the things they should be lobbying for, petitioning for, raising? I think we need a Green New Deal. Okay. I think that kind of mass industrialized change 
but that also recognizes that we have inequalities to address mm-hmm. is a key part of doing so. So we need we need trillions of investment in green infrastructure, green jobs, green technology. But also mm-hmm. we have to recognize that during any moment of massive societal transformation and transition, we always see the most precarious people being left to, to essentially take the collateral damage. Yep. And that's why the kind of connection of the Green New Deal has to be a sweeping expansion and redistribution of wealth and resources and power. They can't, yeah. we can't have one without the other. Mm. And thank you. Nothing. Thank you. No, 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 that was, I mean, it was short, but I think they're definitely a teaser for people. I do hope people can get in touch with Atian on social media. Yeah, I do recommend reading the Guardian article. It's called when I look into, what is it? When I look into Extinction Rebellion. Oh, yes, I see right faces. Faces. That has to change. <laughs> that they, sounds like a beginning of a track, to be honest. But... <laughs> That's you know what they did? They put it in print, and then yeah. they, they put it, but they kind of shortened it. They put like, uh, um, Extinction Rebellion need to turn, tone, down, tone down the white noise. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not, not them trying to get you like assassinated in the streets. They were, were but, um, they ain't got me yet though. Those are, famous, those are famously bad words, aren't they? Uh, don't say that. Don't worry, we got you anyway. We got you. Thank you so much, my bro, for joining me, man. Thank it's been a good conversation. This is the Malcolm Effect with Mama Do. Please like, comment, subscribe. Be that on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on YouTube. Until next time, people, take care.